Okay, so Joshua 7, there should be Bibles maybe in front of you in the pew if you need that. Joshua 7, it's in the first part of the Bible. And I think the words are going to be on the screen as well. We're going to read the whole chapter. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men, and chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim, and struck them at the descent, and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all, to give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. What will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up, why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have trans transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 20, or 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So 
Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all of the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Thanks, Jerry. Good morning, church. Well, um, I was reading through this text about a month or so ago in our Bible reading plan. We're doing a Bible reading plan as a missional community group, and it just struck me in great ways. And my missional community group, uh, we, we went through this together, so this may be a little bit of review for them, but uh, hopefully some, some new things will, will pop for you today. But this has been on my heart. And I believe that God has paved the way for me to teach it today. I wasn't supposed to teach this weekend, but uh, the Lord uh, put me in, in someone else's place. And so I'm really, I feel privileged to get to teach this text. And I feel like God has a word for us today from Joshua. So for many years of my life, I had this common idea, popular idea, that my actions were between me and God. I, as long as I didn't directly hurt someone else, I thought, you know, it's less severe to God, and it really is nobody else's business what I do. But I had a rude awakening in my 20s when I was living quite foolishly and uh, sinfully, and uh, I came to see that my sin not only brought damage, negative effects, scars to my life, but it had great effect on those I loved and you see, when we're a part of a family, what we do matters, both good and bad. When we're a part of, say, a covenant marriage, what you do with your finances, your, your body, what you do with your time, it affects the other, whether for good or for evil. It affects them. And we're going to see that in today's text that Jerry's just read. And we're also going to see that it's not just those that are really close to us, like our spouse or our family or maybe a, a best friend, but it's also the church that's affected by our behavior. You see, when we put faith in Jesus, we were brought into a family. We are united to one another in Christ Jesus. Our union is just as real as a marriage covenant relationship. Perhaps more real. I mean, it's, it's, it's an eternal covenant that we will have to one another in Christ Jesus. It goes on forever and ever. And so this union that we have with one another as the body of Christ, what it means is that what we do today, both our good and our bad actions, affects one another. So actually, my sin, my actions, my behavior is your business. It's your business, what I do with my life. And your life, your behavior is my business. 
because it matters how we live. That's what we're going to be seeing today in the book of Joshua. I want to show you the communal effects of sin. And I also want to remind you of the gospel of Jesus in light of our sin. It's good news that I have for you today. So just quickly, where does Joshua fit in this book? What is, who is Joshua and, and where does it fit? Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. He was anointed by God to lead Israel across the Jordan into the promised land. The, the promised land is called the promised land because God promised to Abraham long before that. He raised up Abraham, he set him apart, and he said, Through you, I'm going to make a people through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. And the reason he did this, this with Abraham, the reason he's making a covenant with Abraham and with the people is because... Adam had blown it, right? Sin had entered the world through Adam. He's our first father. And through that, all of us were separated from God, were out of relationship with God, and God wanted to be back in relationship with humanity. So he sets apart a man. He says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm also going to give you a land through, from where all the peoples of the world will come and see and the glory of God. Well, they'll come and see my relationship with you. They'll come to understand and to worship God. This is like, Israel's like Adam 2.0. And Israel, the, the promised land, is like a, a, a form of Eden 2.0. Okay? So God is trying to dwell with mankind you know, who is unholy while he is holy. God is holy. Mankind is not. We have sinned, as I just uh, rehashed, and yet God wants to be in relationship with us. So here's Joshua after a long season of unfaithfulness from Israel. God has given the, the, the law to Israel. He's given them the covenant uh, blessings and the covenant curses. He said, this is how you are going to be in relationship with me. He made a vow to them and Israel back to, to God and said, this is what relationship is going to look like. But Israel over and over and over again transgressed that covenant. So a whole generation perished in the wilderness, but here Joshua is about to take the next generation into the promised land. Okay? So the story goes that Joshua takes them miraculously through the Jordan River, parts the Jordan similar to the Red Sea, and they're going in to take over the land as God has promised. The first city they're called to destroy is Jericho. Why are they going to destroy Jericho? Because Jericho was a wicked city. Essentially, God, in his justice, has a right to destroy us for sin. He really could take out the whole world like he did in the flood. He could destroy us for our sin and that is what we're going to see in, or that's what we see in, in the story of Jericho. Jericho is destroyed. How do, how do they destroy Jericho? Well, they march around it and scream at it really loudly, just like all of us do when we're trying to win a battle. Ah! And everything, you know, explodes and we're, we win the battle, right? No, but God is with them. The story of Jericho is a story of God's presence with his people. So they go in, but before they go in, Joshua had given them this really important command. He said, chapter 6, verse 18, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. He warns them. 
lest you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble on it. So even before they go in, there's a warning. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Remain pure for the Lord. Do what he has said. God had instructed them to destroy everything except for Rahab and her family who had preserved the spies who had gone in. And he had also told them to preserve the precious metals that were going to be an offering to the Lord for his temple. And here's where we pick up in our story. It says, The people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. The first point I want to make today is that Achan's sin affected Israel like Adam's sin affected humanity. Adam's sin brought curse, death, destruction on all of humanity, did it not? We were like the son of a king who did an outrageous thing in his kingdom and got banished from the kingdom. Now forever we, the children of the king, experience the effects of our father's sin. Likewise, Achan, as one of the members of, of Israel, he's, he's not like Adam in the exact same way, but he's a part of this covenant family, and his sin actually brings great uh, wrath on Israel. This one man's sin. Do you notice that? How God says that, he says in, in verse 1, that the people of Israel, plural, broke faith in regard to the devoted things. It says that the Lord, Lord's anger burned against the people of Israel. All of them. I just want to remind you, I think that that's offensive to us. I want to just, just go back again one more time and just kind of rehash the story. Who is God? Who are we? Why is Israel getting punished in this way? Why is that just? Well, God is creator. Not only does he create, he gets to create the purpose for all things. Number two, he is holy, which means he's set apart, he's unique, he's pure in every way. But people are fundamentally not. We're separated from God and thus worthy of death. Israel, likewise, the, the second, like 2.0 of, of Adam worthy of death. If they commit a sin against God, they will be separated, put outside of the camp of Israel. So similar to our union with Adam, Israel had union as one people of God. It means if one person obeyed, there were benefits for all, and if one person disobeyed God, there were consequences on all. We see this clearly laid out in Deuteronomy 28. If you go there, you can turn there if you want. It says that the Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath. If you keep, if you together, you plural, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. However, if you together do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. So friends, it's similar to Adam. Israel was similar to Adam. When they sinned, God could justly 
turn his wrath towards them and cause them to die. That's what's happening here. So when he turns, when God turns his anger against all the people of Israel for Achan's sin, it's just. The holy people of God is being made unholy through this one man's unholiness. God treats the people of Israel like they had all sinned because of this one man's sin. It's as if they had all cheated on him and the covenant was broken. God is not impartial. He can't destroy Jericho for its wickedness and then treat Israel with a different sort of judgment. Jericho was being destroyed for its sin, and Israel, too, for its uncleanness, for its impurity, must be destroyed. A holy God cannot dwell with a holy people. The Bible is laying out for us instructions about who God is, who we are, and all these things are teaching us. They're instructing us that God takes sin so seriously. He takes sin so seriously. He says that his presence will go no longer with them. Here's where we come to the next point. Israel is defeated and devoted to destruction because of its unholiness. So verse 2, we're told that Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai to spy out the land and prepare for the next conquest. We just read that they went in. They said, it's a small people. We can take them. So they send a, a small group, two or 3,000 men. And what happens? Rather than going in and having the, the confidence to destroy, rather than seeing the people fall before them at the hand of the Lord, it says that they fled before the men of Ai. Thirty-six of their men were killed, and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Right off the bat, we see that the man's sin has affected the entire community. God is not with them, and therefore they are fleeing before their enemies. We're told in verse 6 that Joshua and the elders tore their clothes and fell on their faces before the ark all day long until evening. You know, this is a beautiful scene in, in one sense. that the, Their cry is, what will come of your great name? What about your people? They're reminding God, they're saying, your promises, Lord. What about your promises? But listen to the response of the Lord in verse 10. He says, get up. Man, that doesn't seem like Joshua was doing the right thing. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant they commanded them. I think this response shows us that Joshua... He seems to be too quick to question God's faithfulness in this situation and too slow to remember the unfaithfulness of Israel. It seems that Joshua is, is going and saying, God, you told us you were going to do this, and now you're not. Where are you? And God mercifully says, No, listen to me. Your people have sinned. Your people have sinned. We do this so often, friends. When we experience some circumstance that is unexpected, some trial, some event, so often we say, where are you, God? 
We question him in our hearts. We look first to him and say, you're unfaithful to me. And we rarely say, Lord, show me my heart. Show me my unfaithfulness. Help me to know what's going on here. We come with a a heart of questioning towards the Lord rather than a heart of submission. Lord, show me what's going on here. God is merciful. He explains what happens. In verse 12, he says, The people have stolen and lied and broken covenant with God. He says, The people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies. Why? Because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Friends, when God is with us, you cannot thrive more. We flourish. Look at the Garden of Eden. Humanity thrives when we're in relationship with God. Israel brought into an abundant land. Their enemies falling before them with hardly a a finger lifted. And yet when God's presence is not with us, there is no hope for us. We will flee from our enemies. We don't have strength to withstand. It says that they were devoted for destruction. This is exactly what happens when Adam sinned. This is what happened when Israel sins. He turns them, he turns them over to their sin and ultimately to destruction. We don't want to have God against us, do we, church? If God is for us, who can be against us, right? But if he is against us, then we are lost and absolutely will be destroyed and die a just death for our sin. I need you to see these consequences, these communal consequences. We're told that this one man's sin had consequences for 36 families who lost husbands and fathers. 36 men were killed because of this one man's selfish act. Further, we see that the whole community is affected when God says these crazy words, I will be with you no more. That's devastating. Man, does the thought of God not being with you terrify you? Oh, it should terrify us. Even more, we see that this man's sin crushed the momentum of Israel, crushed the momentum of the people of God. We read that that the people's hearts melted like water before them. Once, at one time, they were confident going forward to take the, the land that God had given them, and all of a sudden, nobody wants to go into battle. Everyone's terrified. This man's sin affected the community in great ways. So what's the solution? God told Joshua in verse 12, I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Point number three, the death and destruction of the unholy can appease God's wrath. That's what we're going to see here. God tells the people, he says, consecrate the people. That word consecrate is another word for make holy. Here we see that theme again. The the people are unholy. He's saying, 
Be holy before the Lord. Come before the Lord and make yourselves ready. Purge the sin from among you. So verse 16, Joshua rises early. He does everything that the Lord commands him. He brings tribe by tribe, family by family before the Lord. Can you imagine this scene? It's possible that Israel was a couple million strong. And here they are, just lined up, tribe by tribe, before the Ark of the Covenant, waiting to be tested by the Lord. We're told that one by one, Joshua cast lots before the Lord to determine who had committed the sin. The whole casting lots thing, it's, it's a little confusing to me, but Proverbs said that the, the lot is in the hand of the Lord. They're essentially casting a die before God, a casting dice before God, and he's sovereignly selecting each and every single person who has committed this sin. It's wild. So they're all standing there, I, I think probably terrified in this moment. And I just, I think it's curious. Why does God bring the whole community before them when he already knows who committed this sin? He, he's already said Achan committed this sin, right? But God brings the whole community, I think, so that all the people would have fear and reverence put in their heart. That all the people would watch as God showed his all-knowing power. That he knows every sin. That he's righteous in his judgment. So we're told, first, Judah was taken. That, that word, t was taken, is actually better translated, was caught or captured. So one by one, God is catching the, the tribe. First, it's the Zarahites. Then it's the, the Zabdi clan. Then it's the family of Achan. And finally, Achan singled out before all the people. One in a couple million. If I were him, I would just be shaken. Watching God select each and every group that I belong to down to me. Here is the man. He has not come, he has not come to them and said, it's me. He, he just simply waited, hoping that God wouldn't know, that God wouldn't see, that the people of Israel wouldn't find out. He waits until down to him he is selected. He's not repentant, it seems, but is caught in his sin. Don't we know that God sees our sin? Every single one. Sometimes we pretend that he doesn't, right? That there won't be consequences for our sin. That somehow it's just going to disappear. But friends, the Bible shows us that he not only knows, but he records our sin. Each and every one. He keeps a record of them. Why? Because our sin is against him. We read earlier, our sin is against you, Lord. Every single sin is against our God, our maker. He deserves our worship. He deserves our glorifying him and him alone. And yet, we sin against him. We steal from him his glory. And he knows it. And he records it. Because he is a just judge. We live our lives daily before the face of God. Nothing is hidden. Achan, too, thought that he could hide, just as Adam and Eve did in the garden. 
They hid themselves. This is the common you know, effect of sin. We, we try to hide. Right? We try to cover up. Instead of telling other people what we've done, asking for help, we try to hide. And notice the similarities. I want you to notice how similar to Adam and Eve's sin is Achan's sin in his response to Joshua here. He says in verse uh, oh, I forget the verse here. He says, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. Verse 21. When I saw among the spoil, I saw among the spoil something beautiful, a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them. The accountant Adam says they desired them as something beautiful. They, they wanted it for themselves. And they took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Adam and Eve and Achan saw something good and beautiful, just like we do. Coveted it. Desired something that didn't belong to them. They desired it for themselves, though it was forbidden. They take, they hide, and ultimately they die for their sin. All sin is really just a repeat of these stories, isn't it? When we sin against the Lord, like Achan, we steal from God. God had devoted these things to destruction. He said, this, this belongs to me. This needs to be destroyed. It's going to appease my wrath against this people. And the precious metals, it belongs to me. I want them for myself, but he stole from God. He considered what he wanted, his happiness, as more important than God and his glory and the worship of the Lord and more important than the welfare of his people. And when we sin, we do the same thing. We steal from God and we steal from one another. Sin is idolatry. When we take something from God that he has forbidden, it's as if we're saying, God, this is more important to me. I want this thing more than I want you. And that makes God angry because he alone is worthy of our worship. He is our creator. He is our master. So we're giving allegiance to something else when we sin. We're stealing from God the glory, the worship, the attention, the allegiance that he deserves every single time we sin. Now, as we look to verse 22, I want to show you that because sin affects the entire community in this way, it's the entire community's role to deal with the sin. Because sin affects the entire community, we're going to see that it's the entire community's role to deal with the sin. So it says in verse 22, the whole community gets behind dealing with the sin. First, Joshua is going to send messengers. He, he selects some men. He says, you go find the things that Joshua has hidden. They go, they find the things hidden under his tent, buried in the earth. They bring them back. All Israel is there. They see the items that have been stolen. And guess what? It says all Israel stoned him and his entire family with stones. And they set them on fire and covered them 
with a heap of stones. This is a tragic moment. Joshua said to Achan before they stoned him, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. He brought trouble on them through the community. He poured out his wrath through the community as they were called to deal with the sin according to God's command. This per- every person who threw a stone in that community would, would have been reminded of God's holiness, wouldn't they? They would have been reminded of the holy anger and wrath that they deserve if they follow that same path. So here's what I want to do. What I want to do. I want to. I want to try to bring this story to light for us right now. What is the difference between Israel and us? How does how does this story affect us? What should we do? What is what is its purpose for us? So this story is a warning to us. It's a warning to us, similar to how a, a stone. Pile was was left there at the Valley of Achor, or the Valley of Trouble, that reminded the people for generations of what comes from sin. This story is written for us as a reminder of the severity of our sin. That God is still the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And sin is dealt with with severity. We are a new people of God, the new covenant people of God in Christ Jesus, and yet we are still charged to be holy unto the Lord. You know, Jesus, when he came, he didn't let up. He didn't loosen up. He said, you know what? You've got to pass to sin. You can, you can sin a little bit since my, my blood covered it. No. He said, you must be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. He said things like, if your eye is causing you to sin, you've got to gouge it out. If your sin, if your hand is causing you to sin, you've got to cut it off. Jesus treated sin with the same severity. There is no room for compromise in the church, even in the new covenant community of God. The story shows us that Partial obedience is still disobedience, church. Do you know that Joshua would have probably been there with all the men faithfully fighting, doing almost everything that he was commanded to do? He probably set aside many articles of gold and silver. He probably lit fire to so many things and slayed so many people. And yet, by taking just a couple items, he was considered disobedient. Partial obedience is still disobedience, church. Our God sees these things. And I'm afraid that many of us today act like we're our own judges. You know, we compare ourselves to other people. We're not as bad as them. We haven't done this. We haven't hurt them in this way. Look what all I've done for you, God. Shouldn't I be allowed to have this? Friends, we're not much different than Achan, are we? 
Today, we, we even, in the church, we make compromises. We're lonely. So what do we do? We go and sleep with somebody that we're not covenanted to. We're struggling financially, so we steal. We cheat our, on our taxes. Maybe Aiken was poor. Maybe he thought, man, my family really needs this. It doesn't matter. Do you see how our hearts are so similar? We're so prone to, to idolatry. We're so t- prone to turn from the Lord and to compromise. And how do all these compromises affect the church today? Let me answer in the words of Paul from 1 Corinthians 12. He says in verse 26, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Through Jesus, as I was saying earlier, we have become united to one body. Similar to Israel, we have unity with one another. And shockingly, this scripture says that when one person is suffering, all suffer. When one person is thriving, when one person is being honored, all rejoices together. I believe that it's, it's fitting to make the implication that sin is the same. That in the same way that Achan's sin affected the entire community church, our sin affects the community of God in great ways. What we do that's good, it serves to build up the body. We help to build one another up. When we're thriving in our gifts, when we're using our gifts, we thrive. The whole body is working together in one accord to bring about the kingdom of God in the world, for Christ to be made known to the world. But when one is sinning, it tears down. It is destructive to the body of Christ. It is destructive. Not only is Christ made to look ugly before others because of your behavior, the whole body loses out on the gifts that you bring. So when you're in sin, friends, we don't come to offer our gifts. Why? Because we we feel filled with shame. Or maybe it's our foolish behavior that's just leading us to Waste our time, our energy, our money, and the whole community is affected as a result. Drags the body down. Friends, when we walk in unrepentant sin, it demands others' time. It demands others' emotional capacity and energy. It's not just you who are being hindered in your walk with Jesus. It's the entire community. And friends, I want to say that It is our joy and pleasure as a church to walk with one another when we're struggling with sin. We we want to do that. It's our joy to help one another reach the end. But brothers and sisters, when we sin, when we are unrepentant in our sin, when we have hard heads and hard hearts, and we we never lay down the sin before the Lord, it is devastating to this community. Church family, it destroys our momentum as a church. It destroys our ability to be witness in our community. 
I can't tell you how many times we have been on an initiative, fighting, running towards a kingdom endeavor, seeking to win the lost, and we get, we get uh, derailed by some sin issue that we have to deal with that takes up so much time and energy. Church, you, many of you know what's going on. You're, many of you are in DNA groups, and you see the sin, you see the stuff, you see the struggles. But church, we are... I'm so burdened for you. I'm so burdened for some of you. You should be much further along than you are in your walk with Jesus, and yet you keep holding on to your sin. You keep clinging to the same sins, and it is devastating you. And there are consequences for you. I'm walking with you through it. There are consequences for your sin. It's not a consequenceless issue. Sin hits us. It leaves scars. And friends, it is damaging this community today. Oftentimes, it's unseen. It's unknown. But friends, we are hurt by your sin together. I was with someone just last week that slandered the church of Jesus she said something to the effect of abuse gets a pass in the church. Well, the church, that's the place where abuse and sexual sin gets a, gets a pass. I was with somebody just this past weekend that shared a story from their teenage years they were in the church, they were growing as a young person, and they had an interaction with a pastor where the man sinned greatly against them, and it ruined her faith. She walked away from the Lord. You don't have to look far to find that the church is blasphemed because of our hypocrisy and unrepentance. Jesus Christ's name is blasphemed in this world because of our sin. This is why we take sin so seriously in this church, friends. This is why I come to you with these warnings. This is why we as a church warn you regularly, turn from sin, hold fast to Jesus, pursue holiness when, we, when our sin is left undealt with within our community, the whole community is tainted and effectively. I think it's true that when sin gets undealt with, that we all grow desensitized to it. But when we discipline someone before the community for unrepentant sin, we see and fear the consequences for our sin. It drives us to remain holy before the Lord. I need to close here. I think I uh, just quickly want to try to compare the difference between the communal effects of Israel and ours. So we asked the question, would God punish the whole church for one man's sin? Would he do that in the same way? Actually, I need to back up and ask this question first. I would he punish me for my sin? 
Would God do that? Well, I think our, our first response is typically to say, no, he can't punish me because of Jesus. The blood washes me. He would never punish me like that. And I just want to humbly point you, church, to the stories of Ananias and Sapphira and the story of 1 Corinthians where Paul warns the disciples. He said, many of you are sick and even falling asleep, dying because of your irreverence in the way that you are taking the Lord's Supper. I don't think the simple answer is, they were unbelievers, that's why he did this. No, I think that God was dealing severely with the church as a warning that he was disciplining them for their sin as a warning to the entire community. Church, God still takes sin seriously right now. God still disciplines his children. Sometimes that comes in the form of a challenging circumstance. Sometimes that comes in the form of physical pain as a wake-up call to us. I could give you examples, personal examples, of how God brought physical suffering to me because of my sin to wake me up. And what I want to make sure that you hear today is that all pain, all suffering is not a result of sin. So we cannot make that conclusion from Scripture. But I do think it's wrong for us to simply say, God would never cause physical harm to me for my sin. No, God does discipline us. But I need you to also know this. There is a difference between the discipline of the Lord, the fatherly discipline of the Lord, and the wrath of God. Discipline is always intended to bring us to repentance. It's a merciful act of love from our Father. God's wrath is complete and final. It separates us from God. So to answer the question I said earlier, I don't believe that God will punish us as a community in the same way that he punished Israel for this sin. Why? Because I believe that Jesus has washed our sin. We have a different covenant relationship with God. Let me explain. We are under a different covenant with God and one another, not by virtue of our race or our adherence to the law or anything else, but only by faith in Jesus. That means that God's wrath has been appeased by the blood of Jesus and his righteousness has been counted to you and I so that when he looks at us, he sees Jesus' righteousness and not our sin. So there are still clear effects of sin on the community, absolutely, but I don't believe that God holds the sin of one Christian against the entire church in the same way because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Friends, I need to remind you of the incredible grace and mercy of our Lord, the good news that is presented to us today. All of us deserve the wrath of God. All of us are like Achan and deserve to be destroyed for our sin. But listen to this amazing news from Romans chapter 6. He says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Think of what incredible mercy, what incredible mercy has been poured out on you. When you read this story, when we read this story as a missional community group last week, one of the brothers said, man, this makes me thankful for Jesus. It should stir that same sort of love for Jesus, that same sort of affection. Friends, all of us should be stoned for our sin. And yet Jesus took that place. Amen? Amen. All of us should be crucified for our sin, and yet Christ stood in our place. I want you to know that fear is a good motivation for holiness. And yet it cannot be our only motivation. Love must always be our chief motivation. God loved us while we were sinners. And he set us free from our sin. And this is what motivates us to purity and holiness together. Oh, church, we've seen today, and I admit a somewhat uh, unstructured way, (laughs) that sin is destructive to us, not just to us, but also to the entire community. And I want to just charge us, I want to warn us to turn from our sin. I want to warn us and charge us to pursue holiness. As our God is holy, we ought to be holy. Not just for your sake, but for one another for this church. I believe that as we take sin seriously, as we seek new levels of holiness and purity, that we're going to see moves of God in this church. We're going to see what what Joshua and the people of God see after they purged the evil, they went and God was with them again and began they began to do exactly as God told them they would do. So church in the power that the Lord gives to us in his Holy Spirit, motivated by the love of Jesus who washed us, who took our sin. Let's run together. Let's fight together. Our sin is one another's business. I want you to go to someone today. If, you're, if you have an unre- unconfessed, unrepentant sin, I want you to go to somebody today and confess your sin. Leave that sin. Stop clinging to it, and let's live for the Lord together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to teach this word that you have given to me, and I pray that, Lord, it will bear fruit in this community. I cannot do it, but you can do much. So stir in our hearts a fear of the Lord, a reverence for God. Would you create in us new hearts? Lord, for anyone in here that doesn't know you, that's not clinging to Jesus in faith, I ask that they would just simply come to you right now and receive mercy and forgiveness at the feet of Jesus. You welcome all. You don't want anyone to perish in their sin. We thank you for that great mercy, and I pray that you would help us, Lord, to gain momentum as we kill our sin, and that we would bear much fruit so the whole world would see and know that you are God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.